0: Alright, so Talk
2: recorded live <laughs> ah, ah, ah.
0: Ay, 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 ay. The lady that I know just came from Columbia. Well because I did not understand Then she held out some york pain she smiled because I did not understand
1: To Seattle Sports Talk podcast, I am your host Mike, and I'm joined by my, like always, as my co-host Chase. And Chase, what can I say? Welcome back for both of us, right? Yeah, no
2: kidding. It's been a long time, you know. I know. Uh, I know. School's been uh, been a big big deal for both of us. I already can't talk. Wow. It's uh, it's going to be a good podcast already. Can't you tell? Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a good one. We
1: got. A lot to, uh, a lot to talk about. First of all, you know, we got uh, of course a Super Bowl with, uh, with all that, but uh, you know, I think the the, the big topic that we got to discuss, of course, is got to be uh, this guy right here, and I got the highlight right here already loaded up. Let's take a listen at perhaps one of the greatest runs in Seahawks history. the beast quake highlight uh the highlights brought to you by 710 ESPN by the way um also the Seattle Seahawks property of them and Chase during the Super Bowl Marshawn Lynch took center stage once again even though that he was not playing and announced on Twitter um kind of uh, in a real real funny way that he was hanging up his cleats and walking away from the game of football yeah, yeah, that's uh,
2: that's some big news. And, you know, to be honest, I kind of saw it coming after the success of Thomas Rawls this season. Um, like, you know, Marshawn Lynch was possibly the second greatest running back that the Seahawks have ever had behind Sean Alexander. And to have such a, a talent like that, such a, a player that has meant so much to this team for so long, Retired, I think uh, it's uh, it's. Uh, – I'm sad to see him go.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people are sad to see him go. I mean, I will say this. I'm going to be the first to admit it, okay? I love Beast Mode to Death. But I will say this. His antics kind of got a little tiring, especially with this season, uh, walking off the – during the divisional round, knocking off 10 seconds off the clock when those 10 seconds really could have came in handy. Um him holding out a couple of years ago got a little old, but I don't think I, I don't think too many people can take away a lot of negative from Marson Lynch. I mean, yes, th- there was stuff that annoyed me about him. Yes, he uh, also the way he was dressed coming uh, into the divisional round uh, with the, you know, kind of with his uh, sweatshirt with the very uh, derogatory word on it, and then him sagging his pants. But you know, that's Marson Lynch. I mean, people were saying, you, you know. know He's from the hood. You can't really take the hood out of the guy. But I got to I got to talk to you about this, Chase. I mean, you know, when you come to the NFL, there's there's a certain level of professionalism that you have to be main, that you have to maintain. And you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna castrate Marshawn Lynch for that. But I, I see a lot of other players, you know, dressing like that, sagging their pants like that, and you know, wearing uh, inappropriate clothing. And you know when it comes to the NFL you have again you may be from the hood but there there's a level of professionalism that you have to maintain and that includes dressing appropriately as well You know
2: you're you're right um but these guys you know they're playing a game that they've played since they're kids and and to get to this point they've put in so much work that I feel like they should be allowed a, a little bit of leeway uh for instance we'll take uh, Cam Newton's Super Bowl, since we're going to be talking about this here in just a minute, we take Cam Newton's Super Bowl antics after the game, rolling around crying, you know. That was very un- unprofessional, and people jumped on, on him for that. But at the same time, the dude just lost the biggest game of his entire career. Uh, and, and arguably, Peyton Manning did the same thing when the Seahawks trashed him. He uh, just stormed off the field. Didn't want to talk to the, the you know, to anybody. He's just really sad. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Professionalism is necessary, but but let let the man play some football. Let let the men, I guess, play play some football and uh, and kind of do what they want to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I I gotta gotta kind of side with you on that one, uh, and at the same time, I I don't side with you,
3: but that's just me.
1: <laughs> Let's take, let's take another listen on to another one of Marshall Lynch's uh, greatest highlights. And this one was just coming off of last year. the the uh, the Beastquake 2.0, and I got to tell you one thing. That was another one of Marshawn Lynch, possibly Marshawn Lynch's second greatest run in his career. I mean, the Beastquake. The, you can't top the Beastquake. You can't top the first Beastquake, but Beastquake 2.0 is pretty special. But I will say this though, I I can't I. I hate the fact that there's not a clip of Steve Rabel's call on it. I mean, I've been trying to find that one, but that was the best that I could find because I can't stand listening to Chris Collinsworth and them calling that. No. Uh, and you know what? You,
2: you, you said that it was Marshawn Lynch's second greatest run, and, and I think you're right, and I think the NFL Network agrees with you too because I was watching a clip after he announced his, uh, his retirement. The, the it was like the top five Marshawn Lynch runs and the Beastquake 1.0 was was the first one and Beastquake 2.0 was the second. It, it it blows my mind how similar these runs were. You know he starts right up the middle, powers through a couple of tackles, and then finds some space and then he ran. You know he runs to the right. It, 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 incredible blocking also on, on both those runs. Led to, uh, led to those touchdowns. So it's really a team sport, and to have such a player leaving the game, leaving the team, is unfortunate, but I think we'll be all right.
1: Yeah, definitely. And here's the thing, you know, I want to say this before we play this clip. You know, so many people have said, oh, Marshall Lynch, He's he's, he's a Hall of Famer. But the but the only thing that I see a real problem with Marshall Lynch getting into the Hall of Fame is is the writers and the reason why is because Marshall Lynch was not one that he was not one to talk to the press and I think that's what's maybe going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame but if he does not get into the Hall of Fame it's going to be a shame I mean I I know, I know Terrell Owens didn't get into the Hall of Fame and I'm like are you kidding me Look, I, I was I was I like Terrell Owens. He, he, he's possibly one of the greatest wide receiver, possibly the greatest wide receiver I've ever seen, next to Jerry Rice, and Steve Largent. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, come on. I mean, I don't. I, I think a lot of writers create bias bias towards players. But with Terrell with players like Terrell Owens and Marshawn Lynch, you have to give credit where credit is due.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's the whole argument about you know the the running backs aren't the same as they used to be. You know, Bernie Sanders, blah blah blah. Marshawn Lynch only had uh, five good years, I I suppose, but out of a nine-year career, when over half of it is as good as Marshawn Lynch's was, uh, and and seeing it as the average career in the NFL is only three. You know, when five of your years in the NFL are amazingly and uh, were amazing and longer than I don't I'm not i am not saying this wrong um, when your best years lasted longer than the average NFL career, I think that says something. Terrell Owens, yeah, you're I, I get your point with the writers' association. association. Uh, and I think the same thing is in the in the baseball world too. You know the the bias against Barry Bonds, who um, has the most home runs that anybody's ever hit, and he's probably never going to make it um, into
1: the Hall of Fame or get voted in, anyways. I'm going to so, say this. I'm going to say this, Chase. You just gave a horrible example with Hall of Fame guys with Barry Bonds because I, I'm going to say
2: this. No, I know no, 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 no. The bias there's there's a bias against Barry Bonds like there's a there's probably going to be a bias against Terrell Owens um and Marshawn Lynch going into the Hall of Fame because of how they acted.
1: Okay, okay, I see I see where you're going. All right, my apologies.
2: Yeah. So, um but, I mean that that's my point really is should he get in the in the Hall of Fame? It's debatable. I think I think he's got enough stats to I I'm not looking at them right now. Uh, compared to other Hall of Fame running
1: backs, it's possible. We'll we'll have to see. Definitely. And let's go ahead and play this, possibly one of the greatest interviews I've ever heard Marshawn Lynch give. And it, In it case, came so I don't get <laughs> fined. No, that's actually not it. I, I was about to, the first real good interview I heard. Here it is.
3: All right, Dion, take it away. How you doing, Big You look good. <laughs> you alright? Man, I like when you got off the plane with the beast fold and everything. It look like you're ready to play, man. Yep, that's what time it is. You kind of shy. Nah. You just don't want to talk, really. I'm just about that action, boss. You'd to go get it. You just like to do it. <laughs> man like that since I was raised like that. Well, I respect it. Yeah. It's a go be a channel, you go get it. Ain't so. no need to talk about it. You excited about the game? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, these are real emotions, man. Yeah, that is. Yeah. It's on your back. They feel like if they can stop you, they can stop this team. Well, they're going to have to stop all of us. <clears throat> you feel me? I feel you. I'm a piece to it, but we got some dogs. You don't like quoting music? my thing. What's your thing? Lay back, kick back. Yeah. Mind my business. Stay in my own lane. Yeah. So you just gonna sit in the cut and just chill. That's what you do it. Just kick back. Game time though, I'll be there. What you like about this week? What I like about this week? This whole experience, you know. Being able to have this opportunity. Has anything surprised you? Yeah, being here is big. Huge. It is. What you dreamt of It is. And it's right here in front of me too. Brought the whole family? They on the way. They on the way? Yeah. town Ben is gonna be in the building. <laughs> Marshall Pope loves you, man. That's huge. That's huge. That's a great too. He respects you and he loves you. He loves your game. We all love your game, man. We love Beast Mode. That's big time. Beast mode, love and appreciate that. I'm gonna let you go, man. I'm proud of you, man. Thank you for that. Thank you, man. All right, Back to you guys. All right, thanks. Uh, and
1: uh, we apologize. There you go for Marshawn Lynch's real first interview, and I gotta say, man, that I, I I a lot of people will say that I'm just here so I won't get fined was one of the greatest, but you know that one right there really defined him because again he did not talk all through the season. And then finally, you know, Deion Sanders, he comes up and he gets them for an interview, and, you know, he showed he showed everyone that he, you know, he has real emotion. He just does not he just does not like to talk to the press. It's just not his thing, and I can understand that. I, I don't think it was fair for them to actually put that in his contract that he has to talk to the press after games.
2: Well, that's in the CBA, isn't it? That's not something that is specifically in his contract. That's something all players are obligated. Obligated to do is is talk to the press when uh, when necessary, I suppose. I don't know the the exact language, um, but yeah, I, I love that interview. It's it's great. He, I don't know, I don't know. He Marshawn Lynch is is he's about that action, and he doesn't feel the need to talk to anybody about it. But yeah,
1: definitely, and. uh, I don't think a lot of people know this, but here's one of the first interviews he really did on TV uh, back when he first was a Seahawk. Here it is. We go. It wasn't the full interview, but, I mean, right there was Marshall Lynch's real first interview as a Seahawk, uh, and, you know, people say that he never liked to talk to the press. He was talking to the press right there, in his fir- in basically his first full season as a Seahawk, and he entertained us with that, and, and again, that's be- that was beast mode at the beginning, and I love that about him.
2: Yeah, you know, he... Uh, that's just kind of the way his his whole career's been. And, and when I think when he stops talking to the press was when the Seahawks started being really good, and you know the the pressure was getting to him. And, and this has been talked about in in interviews and uh yeah, E60 or something something like that. I've seen it around. It's, he's he's a shy guy. He doesn't like he doesn't like being around people that he doesn't know. And it's it's been talked about by his teammates. His teammates say he's, you know, he's a real stand-up guy. He, he's really outgoing, but he, do, he just doesn't like being around people he doesn't know. And uh, when, when the stakes got high and everybody was hopping on the Seahawks bandwagon and, you know, we're playoff-bound two, three years in a row, I think that's when things started getting to him.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I want to play another interview that he gave, but this was like even before it became an NFL, and everyone's going to Sizzler's. Marshawn Lynch takes over the game.
0: He goes far side, galloping into the end zone. That time of the game at 41-all. Then up seven in the fourth quarter, Lynch puts it away. Look at Marshawn Lynch, breaking tackles, then racing 46 yards, and Oakland Tech has the win. 55-47, they win the Silver Bowl in a wild one. Marshawn Lynch, to start
3: for the Bulldogs after the game, he honored his offensive line. Our linemen, oh my God. If my line wasn't so good, Oh my God! I don't know what to do. And me being as broke as I am, I'm about to find
1: a way to treat my alignment to sizzle. <laughs> <See? laughs> real first funny interview for Marshawn Lynch going to Sizzlers, and I gotta tell you, man. I, again, you know, you see how he wasn't comfortable around other people that he didn't know, and you know when people see that type of stuff, they're like, oh, well, how come he gave that interview? Because he was excited, his team just won a state, just won a state title, and you know, Marsh. I will say this about Marshawn Lynch: he is nothing but an upstanding guy, because all the money that he made from his contracts, forty-nine point three million dollars, has not been spent. Marshawn Lynch has made his earnings through his endorsements. So that tells you something about Marshawn Lynch. He may not he may look like a guy from the hood, but he's one smart dude from the hood. I mean, that's just brilliant right there to save every single cent that you made in the NFL and just live off your endorsements, and now you have a nesting egg for your retirement. I mean, that that's one that is a smart that was one smart move by Marshall Lynch. I think that really impressed me a lot about Marshawn Lynch. And you know, not a lot of people know just how smart Marshawn Lynch really is. Well no, he's
2: got he also he's got the I forget the name of his foundation, but he runs a foundation down in Oakland to, to help people that were in his same uh station in life before football try and get out of that and like you said, he's a class act. And I don't think that his charitable work is gonna stop after after you know his football career is over and I will be more than willing to put a bet down that within the next five, ten years, um someone from his football camp or, or something like that will make it to the NFL and Marshall Lynch will be in the news
1: again. Yeah, and I'm trying to f I'm trying to find it real quick. Uh let me see if I can find this really quick. But here we go, Marshawn Lynch, let's see if this will pop up real quick. Um, not a lot of people know this about Marshawn Lynch, but again, saying of how smart he was, uh, let's go ahead, I'm trying to find it right here because I have it right here. There we go, He, uh, he, uh, Marshawn Lynch actually, uh, when he graduated from California, he graduated as a social welfare major with a 3.2 GPA. I mean, again, 3.2 GPA, I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, I can't even get that type of GPA, for God's sakes. Marshawn Lynch is smarter than me.
2: <laughs> that's, uh, that's saying something, dude. Yeah, he's a, uh, you know, and the fact that he hasn't spent any of his 49 million dollars is impressive. Like that that it's how they'll find that he's a he's a good guy. And I like him and I'm sad to see him go. Uh
1: yeah, definitely. Uh but let's now go ahead and let's now get off Marshawn Lynch's personality. Let's talk about the career that he had really because that's I think the one thing that a lot of people want to really talk about is Marshawn Lynch's career and Again, what more can you say about the guy? Uh, uh, let me go ahead and pull up his uh, statistics, really. But Marshawn Lynch just, again, in nine years in his career, um, here we go. Let me go ahead and pull up the bio. There we go. In his nine-year career, 1,912 yards, 74 touchdowns. Rush. This is rushing, by the way. So, so this is all rushing, and. Let's see. uh, uh, Let's go ahead and see receiving, too. Receiving 1,979 yards. So he has over 10,000 all purpose yards, and he has nine touchdowns receiving. So 83 total touchdowns in his career. He had a career high last year with 13 touchdowns, and then the year that the Seahawks uh, just missed the Super Bowl. He had a career high in rushing yards with a hundred or one thousand five hundred ninety yards. But here's the thing: in his first two seasons, one thousand one hundred fifteen yards, one thousand thirty six yards with the Bills, and fifteen touchdowns combined. But with yards per game, he set un, un- unbelievable records with Seattle. And here's the thing: in just twelve game, eleven games with the Seahawks, he had in his first season, he had 573 yards with six touchdowns. But after that, nothing but 1,000 yards, not counting this season. And all 10-plus touchdowns in four straight years. I mean, that's something to, to look at with Marshawn Lynch. He, had, he really did have a beast of a career. I don't care what you say. I mean, beast mode, he may have been hurt this season, but I think Marshawn Lynch did a good job in retiring this year because I was th- a lot of people were saying, oh, he's going to go to Oakland for his final year. Uh, no, he's not. He's not going to go to Oakland. And here's the reason why. Marshawn Lynch does love Oakland. But a lot, of th- a lot of people don't know this. Seattle was the only team that wanted Marshawn Lynch. Bills were trying to offload him for a little for a little while now, and the and the Seahawks were the only ones to deal. They didn't want Mar- no one else wanted Marshawn Lynch, and I guarantee you, a lot of teams are saying, "Why the hell did we not trade for this guy in the first place?" And I will say this: John Schneider he gave Marshawn Lynch a chance, and Marshawn Lynch did not disappoint. He gave John Schneider, uh, let's see, one, two, three four, five, six great years, okay? Technically, technically uh, five and a half years, okay? I'll say five and a half years. But all he did during his career with the Seahawks is just put up unfreaking believable numbers. And again, no one wanted Marson Lynch. No one wanted him. But the Seahawks took a chance on him, and that was by far one of the greatest trades in Seahawks history. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, and uh, you're right.
1: And he he's definitely going to find a spot on the the Seahawks Ring of Honor. I'm saying, right I'm saying, there. I'm saying next year that the Seahawks make him into the Ring of Honor right then and then. I, I, I d- don't worry about him being in uh, for four retiring for four years. Do it now because Marshawn Lee gave everything with this team. And again, I think that this there's no doubt in my mind that he deserves to be in the Ring of Honor right now. And here's the thing. The Seahawks, they actually traded two uh, draft picks for him, a fourth-rounder in 2011 and a conditional pick in 2012, which would become a fifth-round pick for the Bills. And I'm wondering I'm wondering who the, who those draft picks were. Uh, do you think you could find out for me, Chase? Uh,
2: draft picks that we traded for Marshawn Lynch?
1: Yeah, so the Bills – uh got a fourth rounder in 2011 and a fifth rounder in 2012. So we got so we so we're going to look this up. But I want to see who the players were drafted that the Bills got from Marshawn Lynch, if they even drafted, but I want to see the players who were drafted because of the Marshawn Lynch trade. And this is you know in this is going to be interesting. I think this is going to be an interesting uh little bit of homework that we have right here on the show right now. When the
2: Bills, here we go. From the Buffalo Bills, from buffalonews.com, uh, when the Bills traded in he was only 24 years old, uh, Buffalo wound up with tackle Chris Harrison and linebacker Tank Carter. So, tackle basically. The 2011 fourth-round fourth round draft pick and the 2012 fifth-round draft pick. So, Harrison basically. Started, Harrison started seven games in 2011 and eight games in 2012. Um, this was posted in 2014, this article was. So, he spent training camp... Well, Harrison spent training camp walking laps around the field before landing on IR. And Carver didn't survive final cuts and never
1: played it down for the Bills. So, basically, the Seahawks... First of all, the Seahawks would have won this trade either way, but the Seahawks definitely put a put an exclamation point on winning this trade. And I, I again, I gotta say, all the Seahawks did f- with this trade is they contributed to the success. They again, look what they did when they traded for him. They got a guy who helped them win a wild card game against the defending Super Bowl champion New Orleans Saints. And of course, he created the Quake, which. I want to say this. I want to say this. I want to say that possibly ranks maybe number one, at least in the top three, of the greatest plays in Seahawks history. I, 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 think, I think the number one play in my – I think that should be number two because I think the number one has got to be the tip in the NFC championship game.
2: That's, that's up there too. Um, yeah, 100%. That interview afterwards should be number three, by Richard Sherman. I'm Just going to throw that out there.
0: <laughs>
1: All right, hey, we're actually going to talk about Richard Sherman in a little bit. Uh, we we still got it because we're we're going to be talking about Cam Newton because this, I think a, a big thing that I wanted to discuss in this podcast was Cam Newton a little bit, but we still got to get on Marshawn Lynch. Um, I want to look this oh. up really quickly. Let's You're right. see how much
2: and and. and- to to go back to that trade real quick before we move on, um, you know a savvy front office like like Schneider and Carroll um, had well, like or, yeah like uh, they they could have picked something good out of the uh, out of the fourth and fifth, fifth rounds. You know uh, if I remember correctly, Richard Sherman was a fifth round draft pick, right? Um, Tom Brady was a fifth round draft pick, and so hypothetically the Buffalo Bills could have done a lot with that trade uh, and that it ended up not doing so, especially since Lynch had had like a kind of down year, but uh, I'm not complaining 0% with how things turned out for the Seahawks.
1: No, I, I full-heartedly agree. Everything just went right for the Seahawks. And again, you know, you just got to give credit to John Schneider, what he and Paul Allen for making that trade, but I'm looking this up and Marshawn Lynch accumulated four hundred and five thousand total dollars in fines in his career. And I think four hundred and five thousand dollars. And I find it hilarious because, you know, that's chunk change to him with him having 40, $43.9 dollars stashed away. And again, that's another that's another thing that I want to talk about is really the the type of negative outlook that Marshawn Lynch created for himself with not just, you know, the media but around the NFL because he got a bad name for not, for getting fined all the time and getting, uh, you know, bad rep of not talking to the press. But I have to say this, though. Marshawn Lynch is not a bad guy. He didn't want to talk to the press because that's him. But – I will say this: Roger Goodell found every possible means, every possible way to find this man. And first of all, when you he even find him for talking in the, in, in the media day, and I'm like, "Hello, the man talked into the media. He talked to the media. He talked for the uh, correct amount of time to the media." He said everything that he was going to say first off and then he went on and say I'm just here so I won't get fined all the times and you're still going to find the man First off this is a, that's another reason why I hate Roger Goodell because he will go after players for stupid and pointless things like that not just Marshawn Lynch but when a real situation like um like Des or like uh, Greg Hardy's case came up or Ray Rice's case came up, you know, he will not put the right amount of effort into putting in a a very severe punishment because, for one thing, Brady's four games – or what was it, one-game suspension, I think?
2: Tom Brady, it was was inconsequential is what it was.
1: It was – but – Again, the evidence that, that, that court, again Roger Goodell just finds players for for dumb things, and then here's the thing he found he fined Golden Tate for an illegal hit on Sean Lee a couple of years ago, but when the Cowboys player does the same thing to Ricardo Lockett, you let it go, and people are saying it was a clean hit. Okay, and uh, in- dude was in the hospital for X amount of. And that here's the th- here's the thing. I don't call that a clean hit. I call that a hit that nearly broke Ricardo Lockett's neck. He's lucky that his spine was not damaged, and oh. he should have gotten fined, but he didn't.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. Did he did he not get fined like after after the fact at all? Like a week later.
1: Um, what was the guy's I name? Thought the f- I thought I read something about that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Uh, let me just look this up very quickly, real quick, because I I can't even remember the name of the guy who uh, put the hit on him. Um, no, but
2: but but to your point, like the NFL fine system is is ridiculous and, and outdated. Specifically, like that that stat that you just read. He's made forty nine point X million dollars in his career, and he hasn't even been fined a million of that, and he's been living off endorsements. You know, these these players are making so much money now that they can really say F you to the NFL. I'm going to do what I want because the fines don't mean anything to them. Um, you know, I know there's a, there's a fine for throwing footballs into the stands, and Cam Newton gives a football to a fan, Every single time the yep. Panthers score a touchdown, and it's only like a five, it's five thousand dollars or something like that.
1: Um, that's ridiculous. It,
2: yeah, yeah. So either the fine system needs to be updated, or players need to uh, be like making less less money, which is never going to happen. So
1: that
0: and, it, and
2: so it's, it's, it's a broken system, is what it is. It's a broken system. And I just
1: looked- and I just looked it up jeff Jeff Heath, who put the hit on her lo- locket was not fined. he was not fined for the for it uh, here's 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 a logical expl- or a logical uh way to really change this fine system get Goodell out of the NFL plain and simple because again, I don't think Goodell really cares about the players as much. and here's the thing uh, this is another thing with martin Lynch there was a huge controversy after Super Bowl 49 that Roger Goodell, and here's the thing: I don't believe this controversy one bit at all. But it's a very logical controversy due to the fact of how much Goodell did not like Arch. But if Marshawn would have clapped down in that Super Bowl, guess who came the MVP trophy to Marshawn Lynch, Roger Goodell, and the and the controversy is is that um, Goodell talked with Bevel and said that if Marshawn Lynch gets a chance to score, I don't want him to score a game-winning touchdown. You do give it to someone else. Again, I don't believe this controversy, but it's a very, very straight-up straight-up controversy because that's actually one of those more uh, impressive controversies I've actually heard uh Roger Gale with Marshawn Lynch because uh, let's go ahead and look at Marshawn Lynch's stats in that Super Bowl real quick. Uh Oh, he would have missed. End of story. But
2: like, honestly, that's some that's some conspiracy level. I want to swear here, um, but I can't. Uh, it, it,
0: it,
2: there's no sense in in making that. That's someone saying, "Hey, there's got to be some reason that we didn't run the ball, and it can't be because our team sucks, or you know, our team made a mistake. It has to be because someone else." Dude, that that's just pushing the blame off on somebody else right
1: there. Yeah, definitely. And Marshall Lynch, he actually had um, one catch for 31 yards, which really was a big play in that uh, final drive. He also had 24 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. So he if he scores that touchdown, he ends the game with 25 carries, two touchdowns, and 103 yards. And But, again, you know, that was the biggest controversy of that one. But I find it hilarious, though, that um, the year that the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, he only had 39 yards in that Super Bowl, and then the next, and then the next year that they go to the Super Bowl, he rushes for over 100 yards, and we lose. That's what I don't. Yeah. That's what I. Find, I find that kind of. I that that's that's I kind of consider that a little bit of irony. You know, he doesn't have a good running game, so. We actually go on to win forty-eight to three, but then he has a good running game in the next year, and we lose. Uh, and we lose. I, I find that just very, very strange.
0: Yeah, no, you're
1: you're right. And he he would have been the
2: MVP by uh, is just de facto MVP by winning that game.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's it's always uh, curious to wonder about those types of things. Um, we're actually going to be going into a little bit of a break real quick. Uh, when we come back, we're going to go ahead and get on to uh, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, and talk a little bit about that. And, of course, talk about Cam Newton. So we'll take a break and be right back, Okay. We are back here on Seattle Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, Mike, and joined, of course, always by my co host, Chase. And, Chase, we're talking Super Bowl, man. Super Bowl. And I got to get your take on this, man. What was your take on your Super Bowl? All right, so, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, so, yeah, Chase, your take on, you know, this year's Super Bowl.
2: Uh, listen, this may bum you out a little bit, but I got to say, I got to tell you I was rooting for the Panthers. Oh, um, no. Okay, okay. See, I have my reasons. I have a whole bunch of friends of mine are Panthers fans, and uh, and I have this thing where when I, when I, whenever when I played baseball, whenever we were in a tournament, and we ended up getting kicked out. I had to root for the team that kicked us out. Uh, so, so that has kind of carried on. So I, I had to, I had to go for the Panthers. I was bummed when they lost. Um, but in reality, I just wanted good football. And I,
1: I'm kind of conflicted. I don't think we got good football. No, we, we, you're, you're absolutely right. That uh, I will say this: this year's Super Bowl was. Perhaps one of the worst Super Bowls I've actually seen. And the reason why I'm saying that is because, first of all, this was a sloppy Super Bowl. I mean, first of all, I mean, Denver goes up 10 to nothing, And here's the thing. Get this: only and here's the thing: one point or 167 million estimated total uh, watched the game. And that was by far the lowest rating of any Super Bowl in the past 10 years. Was it really? It was. It was actually one of the lowest rated Super Bowls because a lot of people didn't want to watch this game. I mean, a lot of people, first of all, they're, not, they're like, oh, I don't want to watch it because of the guys who are calling it. First of all, Jim Nance and Phil Simms, please go away. Just go away. I can't, I, they cannot call a game. I, I thought it was terrible the way better they called Oh yeah, I I got to agree with you. But definitely better than Chris Collins, but let's look at this real quick. The turnovers on this um uh let's see. Uh we had uh we had four we had seven fumbles in this game. Uh four were recovered. Denver only uh lost one fumble. The Panthers lost three out of the four fumbles. And there were two, turn- and there were two uh, interceptions. So that's a total of nine turnovers, or excuse me, actually uh, uh, only uh, five. Or I'm sorry, uh, six turnovers in the game. Six turnovers actually. And again, this was this was a poor, sloppy, uh, a very poor uh, performance by both teams. Because for one thing, Cam Newton eight for 41, 256 yards, one interception. Now people want to say, "Oh, Cam Newton's an elite quarterback. Cam Newton's a good quarterback." I'm I'm going to go ahead and say this. Look, with Cam Newton, I'm not going to I'm not going to put, put him on that type of pedestal. I'm not going to give him that type of title because I want to silence almost everybody because I want to go over his stats. Okay, let's go over Cam Newton's stats in his in his career, okay? Because I want to get now, this out now, of the way.
2: Now, hold on before you do that, what makes what would convince you that Cam Newton's an elite quarterback?
1: That he puts that he puts up um stats consistently. He has to put up okay. consistent numbers. I want to but here's the thing, he's he's had good numbers since he's coming out. I'm not going to say he's not an elite quarterback. He he's he's a good quarterback. He's one of the top he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in my opinion. But for people to say that that he's better than Russell Wilson, I just want to put this out, okay? 4,051 yards in his first season, okay? That's unbelievable. 21 touchdowns, 17 interceptions thrown. Next year, 3,869 yards, 9 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Next year was low at 3,379. 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Last year... 3,127 yards, 18 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. And this year he had 35 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Okay. I want to say this Cam Newton's not really the most consistent quarterback. And he has shown, he has actually shown that he can be inaccurate from time to time. And he showed it during the Super Bowl. I don't know whether it was nerves or not, but 1841 is not good. When you throw for, uh, I will say this, when you do throw for 265 yards with only 18 completions, i got to give you that. I, there's no doubt in my mind i got to give you that. But the reason why I say that Cam Newton is not really elite in my opinion is because of the consistent numbers he has not put up. And he does put up 20, 20 touchdowns a season. I'll give him that. But he's only thrown for 30 touchdowns once in his career. Russell Wilson av- has 106 touchdowns in his career. Yes, he only has four years under his belt, but he has had an average of 27 touchdowns a season. Or, excuse me, uh, 25 touchdowns a season. Uh, 26 in his first two seasons each, and 20 last year, and now 34 this year with 4,024 yards. And Russell Wilson has only thrown... Ten touchdowns once in his career, and that was in his first year. And since then, it, it, it goes down. It went nine interceptions, seven interceptions, and eight yeah, he had interceptions. A,
2: a rushing touchdowns that
1: his first year too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he did. So, let me go ahead. Let me go ahead and look at this real quick. Uh, here we go, uh, rushing and receiving. And here's the thing: Russell Wilson has more receiving yards than Cam Newton. I'm gonna put that out. <laughs> uh, I gotta put that one out, but. Um, Yeah, here we go. Russell Wilson with uh, four touchdowns, one touchdown six, and one with rushing. Cam Newton has way more. But I'm going to say this. I'm very surprised that uh, Russell Wilson does not have more yards under his belt and more touchdowns because of how much he's had to escape and get out of the pocket. But, you know, uh, Cam Newton's built like uh, Ben Roethlisberger. He's He's one of those guys that will take off at any moment. And He's one of the quarterbacks that can, you know, chunk up over 1,000 yards, in my opinion, almost every season. But, again, I don't want to I, – I think that I don't want to put both Russell Wilson and uh, Cam Newton in the elite status quarterback talk yet, but I will put them in my top ten. And the reason why I'm going to well, – get the gonna, most
2: difference between a top ten quarterback and an elite quarterback? Is an elite quarterback someone that – that's hall of fame ready or hall of fame bound, or is that just someone who's in like a top five quarterbacks of the, I the want, past five I years?
1: Want to, I want to say the, the top five quarterbacks really. And um, I'm not going to say uh, really that Peyton Manning is an elite quarterback. Now hall of fame wise and career wise, yes, he's an elite quarterback, but over the last five years, not so much because he he's shown he's shown that his age has actually gotten to him a little bit. I I, was,
2: I agree with you completely there.
1: But I want to say this: um, Russell Wilson and Cam Newton. I have Russell Wilson as the sixth best quarterback in the NFL, and I want to say that I have and I do have Cam Newton right below him. And I would have, I actually almost had uh, Cam Newton above Russell Wilson until I looked at his stats. And, again, a lot of people say that, oh, stats are not a big deal. They're a real big deal when it comes to uh, people who put uh, lists like this together. Now, another thing that really has hurt Cam Newton, his behavior. And this is what I wanted to to talk about this Super Bowl. It was Cam Newton's uh, immature behavior on the field and off the field. And, Chase, I know you're possibly going to, you know, tell me that, you know, oh, it was, you know, he just lost the biggest game of his career. I get that. But last year, Russell Wilson threw an interception in the biggest game of his career and lost. Do you think Russell Wilson only went to the podium for five minutes and said, I'm done? Nope. He went to the podium and he took his loss like a man. I don't like the, I don't like it when I see quarterback when players when they're upset like that and refuse to talk. Marshawn Lynch he'll possibly refuse to talk no matter what. But you know what you still got to talk about it. You still have to talk about it. I mean it's it's inevit it, it, it's it's a it's an inevitability. You have to talk about it. But another thing I wanted to I will actually defend Cam Newton on this, and I think a lot of people will be shocked that I am actually defending Cam Newton, but. When you go when you go into when, you, when you're getting interviewed you do not put another player's team member right there and have him saying, "Oh, we you know, we shut you down and everything." But I'm going to also put up I may be defending him, but I'm also going to throw this out. You Cam Newton is a big trash talker. When he scores, he'll trash talk and do his little dances. When he wins, he will trash talk and dog everybody possible whenever he gets a chance. But when he loses, he can't take it. He cannot, He does not want to listen to it. He does not want to take it. So really, in my opinion, Cam Newton is very hypocritical because when he wins, he'll dish the trash talk out. But when he loses, he can't take it.
0: Uh,
2: take- I'm going to stop, stop you right there because Cam Newton is very aware of this fact. He himself, like a couple of days after the Super Bowl, said that he is a sore loser and that, you know, he he hates losing. And I'm going to have to agree with him there because I hate losing too. I, I get in a sour mood, you know, I, I play in a weekly pool league. And when our team is doing really bad, when I'm playing really bad, I get in a sour mood, and I don't want to talk to people. And granted, I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to play pool, but that that same sentiment is is common
1: in people everywhere. I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm saying that you know I get that he's a sore loser. But and here's the thing: Russell Wilson in the NFC Championship game. You heard him. He's like, I freaking hate losing. He doesn't like to lose. But he, does, but he does the most responsible thing. He actually takes the loss like a man. He'll talk about it. He will actually t- he's actually one of the more professional players that I know. And this is not being a Seattle-biased uh, sports podcaster. This is, this is actually me saying, Russell Wilson takes his lumps and he sucks it up. He, he uh, will go to the podium and he will actually – he has the balls enough to say, yes, we lost – and he will stay there and talk until he's ready to leave. And he, and usually that lasts about maybe 10 to 15 minutes. But what I'm also saying is that Cam Newton, when the Broncos scored that touchdown, don't collapse right in front of your coach and do that. Do not collapse. But in my opinion, that's the new dab now. That's the new dab. Um, also, I get that emotions are running high. When you're in the end zone after that fourth down play, do not look at the referee and beat on the turf like a, and throw a tantrum, okay? I get that emotions are running high. But you need to show some composure as well. That's the problem that I do have with Cam is the way he behaved. He was again, he was throwing a tantrum like a kid that just got his, you know, video games taken away. And I I did not want to see that. And another thing, another thing that Cam gets it was getting crit, criticized for during the national anthem, everyone had their hand over their heart, except for Cam Newton. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, yeah, you' You make some valid points there. Uh, it, it doesn't reflect well on on the NFL. It doesn't reflect well on on Cam Newton as a person. Um, he and it's kind of a double edged sword with how he how he acts. Because he gets praise all the time from the the NFL Network, from ESPN, as oh, he's having fun while he's playing. You know, he's just being a kid, uh, playing his uh, a kid's game, and then he goes and acts like a kid when he's losing. Um, like you said, throwing a tantrum. Uh, you know, where's the where's the call, ref? Where's the flag? Come on! It it, it doesn't look good on him at all. Um, and they, but there's really nothing that the NFL can uh NFL can do about that. Uh I just I like him as a player, uh as a person outside um outside the confines of the stadium, I guess. I think he can do a little bit more to uh
0: to be a nice guy. That's I mean I'm and not phrasing that right. Here's the thing. People come up to me
1: and say, oh, what about, you know, Richard Sherman? What about him? You don't think he's arrogant? You don't think that and da-da-da. And, oh, what about Marshawn Lynch? You don't think he's arrogant for not talking to the press? First of all, let me ask you a question, okay? And here's the thing. March, or Richard Sherman, when he got into Aaron Andrews's face during that NFC game or NFC championship game, after that, he got crucified. He was Everyone started going after him. He got crucified. But when Cam Newton acts like that, you don't go after him. I'm saying this. That is biased, okay? If you're going to go after Richard Sherman for acting like that, you go after every player who acts like that. Do not just put it on us. And, yes, Richard Sherman is very cocky, but he's learned his lesson from that. He does not do that type of stuff anymore. He does a little bit of antics on the field, but he can back it up. If you, can do, if you can back up your talk on the field, go ahead. And I'm going to say this. Go ahead with Cam Newton, too. Go ahead. I'm not going to say anything about that. But when a player like Richard Sherman, who is the best defender, the best defensive back in the league, and people are going to say, oh, he's not. He had a really soft season this year. Guess what? If he didn't drop eight of those passes that he did not catch, he would have had 11 interceptions this year. So don't, do not say that Richard Sherman's not the best. Because people are scared to go to him. But again, if you are going to criticize and crucify Richard Sherman for what he did in that interview, then you do the same thing to every player. You give them the equal treatment. Give them the equal amount of crucification. And I'm sorry I'm saying this on the air. But again, you crucify Richard Sherman for doing that, crucify every other player that does that. Okay? That's what I'm saying. And first of all, Richard Sherman apologized. The next day he apologized for that. But I put a lot of blame on Aaron Andrews because they they the press knew that Richard Sherman and Michael Crabtree had a little bit of rivalry going. And I put but, a little I put a little and, ba- blame on Aaron Andrews for sticking the mic in Richard Sherman's face.
2: You you asked a man that question Eight seconds after the biggest play of his career against i um, can't say hated he's his most hated player but uh, uh opponent, but someone who is they've had very visible beef uh yeah. for lack of a better phrase, and of course he's going to be hyped I'd be hyped too uh i'd be I'd be doing the same thing richard Sherman would have would have been doing. Uh, if I if I had done something like that, so it's it's not Aaron Andrews' fault because Aaron Andrews I'm sure was told go talk to Richard Sherman, um, and, and as a journalist that's what you do you talk to the the guy that made the biggest play in the game so you go to Sherman in that situation you don't go to anybody else, um, and, and Aaron Andrews is very shocked, very shocked at. Um, had His reaction, but I don't. I don't blame Aaron Andrews. I don't blame Richard Sherman. Um, I just, I just think it was just a, it was a recipe for disaster with uh, with how that was, with with how things played out. I don't think it had any other possible um, outcomes besides talking to a different player. Um, besides Richard Sherman in that situation, but uh, but yeah, you know. You, you said it basically. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if Richard Sherman is getting condemned for his actions on the field, um, then then condemn the guy that almost ended Tyler Lockett or Ricardo Lockett's career. Uh, condemn um, Cam Chancellor for the hit he put on Vernon Davis. Condem- condemn Cam Newton for his actions. Condemn Tom Brady or not Tom Brady. Um, Peyton Manning for storming off the field after they lost the Super Bowl to, uh, in Super Bowl 48, uh, condemn Tom Brady for deflating
1: footballs. Um, the the list goes on. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree with you full heartedly because again, I think the Seahawks really have gotten a bad name for themselves over the last few years because. And I think it's very unfair the way that they have gotten a bad name because first of all, we we've, we've gotten criticized that we're bandwagon fans. Yeah, first of all, bandwagon fans, I don't like them. But here's the thing, there's other teams that have bandwagon fans. Look at the look at the Panthers. They had over 500 they actually only had a little over 500,000 uh following them this year and now they have 1.3 million followers. You're not you're yeah, I've a similar
2: explosion after the Super Bowl, though.
1: But here's the, here's the difference. We actually had a little over 700,000. We had over 700,000 following the Seahawks, and then we had over a million. So, really, Panthers have more of a bandwagon fan fan base than we do. I, I'm just going to say that. But, again, don't criticize us for being bandwagon fans because there are plenty of other teams out there that have bandwagon fans. have bandwagon fans. Yeah. Now, if you now if you want to criticize um, a fan base for having the worst uh, bandwagon fans, I will go ahead and say this: Chicago Blackhawks. I will say that right now, Chicago Blackhawks fans. Ever since they won the Stanley Cup, they have had the worst fans ever in hockey. They have had the biggest bandwagon fans because here's the thing: you're going to go ahead and brag that you got a Stanley Cup, but the but the previous year. You barely had anybody come into your games, and now you're going to go ahead and say, "Oh, I've been a Blackhawks fan for you know this many years." I mean, come on! Don't
2: just well, there criticize are
1: people out there.
2: There are all the people that do go do go to those games, and and once they get once the Blackhawks get popular, then then yeah, you're going to want to say, "Hey, you know, I was a Blackhawks fan before. It was cool." So those. Uh, those fans are probably a very vocal minority. Uh, side note: Every time I'm saying "Black Hawks," I I think I'm saying something else.
0: <laughs>
1: if you catch my drift. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So. Um, Sorry. We... Now you can't unhear that. Yeah. Yeah. I ca- I can't unhear it. Thanks a lot. That, that's all <laughs> your
3: Um,
1: we're gonna go ahead and get into another break. And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and get on to uh, the Mariners' uh, spring training. I mean, for one, I mean, Chase, that's something that we've been anxious to talk about now for a while. It's for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's two weeks away. Definitely two weeks away. So, again, we are going to go and do a quick break, and we will be right back. We're back here on Seattle Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and, of course, I'm joined by Chase, as always. And, Chase, we're talking Mariner Spring Training, two weeks away.
2: Chase, you there? And we – Hello, 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 hello.
1: There we go. you there? Uh,
2: yeah, I'm here. All right. Man, I think, when did I, it?
1: How did it sneak up us? Sneak up on us that fast? I don't know. Possibly from all the Seahawks season, we finally got to the, you know, the season that we were really anxious for as well. Just, I mean, we got to give the Seahawks credit where credit is due. But I think a lot of fans are ready to get back to Mariners baseball, ready to get back to 162 games of praying and hoping that 15 years of playoffless baseball ends. And, Chase, the Mariners have everything right now to do that. They have the necessary pitching rotation to do that. Um, the bullpen is a little iffy, but I think they can do better this year. I think, they, I think they're actually going to, you know, not give away so many games. And the Mariners finally have a stacked lineup of players that can, you know, produ- uh, set up potential runs – uh players who can drive in those runs and players who can just flat out hit home runs to drive in more than just one run.
2: Yeah, you know, we've got we've got a lineup that I believe can get on base a lot and that's what we struggled with a lot last season is getting players on base when uh when necessary. Uh because we had we had the players that could hit home runs we just didn't have the players that could be on base when they hit home runs. And, you know, our, our bullpen is, I think, the biggest mystery out of, out of everybody here. Um, you know, our, our outfield, I think, is, you know, we have Leonis Martin and Nori Aoki, which are going to be unknowns to start the season. But I think it's hard to not be decent in the in in the outfield. So I don't think I'm not too concerned about the outfield there. Pitching is a completely different ball game despite being a despite being a pitcher's game uh currently, our bullpen definitely needs to prove themselves. Because bullpen's you know, yeah, starting pitching wins games, but you close out games with your bullpen and, you know, these checks coming off a bad year still. Um we have I don't know what is that. I think seventy five percent of our bullpen is new names coming in this year. So we'll we'll definitely see how that ends up shaping up. But
1: I I think we'll be fine. Definitely. And you know the at the start of February, three days in, the mayor signed uh De Ho Lee um a first of all a two hundred and eighty six pounder uh Korean from, Korean or yeah Korean uh from the Jap- from the I think the Be- Japanese league but you know this is a guy who as he gets older he seems to have gotten better in hitting and you know first of all he's I think he may end up in the minor leagues I'm not sure where he's going to start off but you know I kind of like this signing by uh Jedi I, I and I yes I'm going to keep using Jedi I I'm not going to change that one bit all right
2: uh, I think I can get behind jedi, but uh but yeah he's not he's not anywhere on the on the mariners death start currently um so i think you're you're right me something that he's gonna start in in the in the um minor leagues there's the word i'm looking for uh and and we'll see how we'll see where exactly things go with him. From, from here on out, I think he's probably only going to be used in, in emergency situations because, like you said, he's 283 pounds, of not light in any way, shape or form. And the, the Mariners aren't looking for – the Mariners are looking for, for base runners. We're looking for small ball. We're looking for, for runs scored the way we were taught in Little League. Because that's that's how you win games these days. Prime example is the Kansas City Royals.
1: They've made yes. it to
2: the World Series the past two years, playing small ball, bunting, stealing bases, uh, playing solid defense, and that is probably going to be the next evolution of of baseball. If if, if I'm going to throw that out there, so you know you had the. The year of the, the the steroid era, the year of the power hitter, and then you had the year of the the pitcher, um, or the era of the pitcher, which was the last 10, 15 years. And the success of the Royals, I think, this year is going to uh, really bring about the the small ball era, the on base, the the runners era, as it were, of of the uh, of the MLB.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, man. And, and first of all, looking at our roster, I want to go ahead and talk about this. Let's go ahead and talk about the uh, top thirty prospects for the Mariners. This is actually a very interesting because uh, Mariners actually got one of their top, pro- or, uh, a few of their prospects through the trade. But let's go ahead and start with uh, start with Jonathan uh, Ario. Uh, got him in the uh, Carson Smith trade, and first off, I like this. I like him because he he he's got that fastball, uh, he's got that fastball that is just can go up there to 95 miles an hour. He's got a nasty slider. He's basically we basically traded Carson Smith and then we got a guy just like him back. And I think that a lot of people overlooked that trade with uh, when Jerry Depoto made that. And of course we've got uh, Tyler Smith who's uh, ranked at number 24. We got David Rollins at number 23. Last year he had he had some problems. He was 0-2 in 20 games, a 7.560 RA. But uh, you know I I I will say this: he, he's got a good fastball. He can get up to ni- between 91-95 mile an hour, um, and it's got and it's got some sync to it. So that's a real big um, boost for David Rollins. Is his that fastball going that that quickly? Can st- can has a little bit of movement on it? And he still has and he's got a really good um, He's got a good slider to use as well, and I think David's been. I know I just talked to David, and he's been working out a lot in the off season too. And I'm really excited to see what he does this season.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, yeah, we'll definitely see. I think you, you, I loved Carson Smith. I I absolutely loved Carson Smith on the team. I thought I thought he had potential to do great things. And the fact that we have a you know a a, a flame throwing guy who's got a pretty good slider um, out of it you know he he doesn't have the MLB experience but we he he's got the same upside that Carson Smith has.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, I want to take the time because I'm I'm looking right here also to uh, the. Uh, the top prospects that we do have and uh, let me go ahead and uh, pull it back up again, but we got Brayden Bishop at number 12. And I want to say this, I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to Brayden about possibly getting a sponsor, uh, having a, we're going to, we're going to be possibly doing a maybe a little bit of a sponsor or maybe a partnership with them, but I want you guys to go on Twitter and let me pull this up again, because uh, if you haven't heard in the past, uh, uh, Brayden Bishop's mom uh, was diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, we here at Seattle Sports Talk Radio, we support his charity event. Um, go to uh, at 4mom underscore ALZ. Give them a follow. And uh, it is uh, Braden Bishop. It was started up by Braden Bishop and his dad, Hunter Bishop. Um, and it is a charity event. They, so far they already have 232 followers. I want to get that up to 1,000. I want to get this. I want to get this cause up because first of all, I like Braden. I really do. I i I've ta- I talked with him at FanFest. I got to hang out with him, and again, I'm going to talk to Braden Bishop, and I want to get us partnered with Foreman because I this is a serious situation with Alzheimer's. And another thing that I would like you guys to do: go on lo- loci.com and order the Alzheimer bracelet too. Um, because they just came out with it, they are eighteen dollars, uh, twenty-two dollars with uh, shipping and handling. But you know, this is a situation where on Seattle Sports Talk we like to get serious. And I know Chase. I know you loved talking with Braden, and, and, and I know you support his cause fullheartedly as well. Absolutely, you know, I I can't say enough about the
2: man. After after having talked to him, he, he he's a great guy. He's a great. He's a Real stand-up guy, and the fact that this, at his age, he started this charity, and he he wants to do great things in,
1: with his life, and I I'm just really proud of him, honestly. Definitely, I mean, all of us here at Seattle Sports Talk Radio are are so proud of you, Braden. And again, he's ranked at number twelve, um, on the prospect list. He started he started last year out with the Aqua Sox. Um, but I want to say this, 56 games, um, he batted three twenty, stole 13 bases. Um, he does not have a lot of power. He hit two home runs, 22 RBIs. Uh, he he did not have it. I will say this, Braden's strikeout-to-walk ratio was uh, not good. But you know what? With a three twenty average, who cares, right? But I will say this, um, you know, he made that good step in the Northwest League, and I think I will see we'll see Braden up here within possibly maybe two to three two to three years here in Seattle. Because again, I really hope that uh, Jerry Depoto does not trade Bish, Braden Bishop. And I want to go over some of the prospects that I do not want to see Bishop or Jerry Depoto to trade. First of all, is Alex Jackson, who is the number one ranked prospect uh, for the Mariners. Next is DJ Peterson, who I think everyone does not want to see go. Another is Tyler O'Neill, A Boog Powell. I, um, first of all, I kind of hope that Boog makes the team because, I mean, who would not love to see Boog in the major leagues? And, of course, keep saying that name, Boog. That's just one of the best it's names. It's um, up there.
2: It's definitely up there.
1: Another guy that I really do hope not to see go is, uh, is Ryan Yarbog. As well, a left handed pitcher that we got up there. He's, he's doing real good things. Uh, Gareth Morgan, as well. He's, he's another guy that uh, has a lot of uh, potential in him. Last year was his first year up in the uh, ALZ uh, Arizona League, and his batting average was very low 225. Uh, again, it was the rookie level Arizona League. So, you know, he's got incredible potential. The kid is only 19 years old, so he's got plenty of time to develop. But again, that's another guy that I don't want to see us let go. Another one is uh, Dan Altavilla, who we drafted uh, two years ago, actually. Yeah, two years ago. And last year with the Bakers with Bakersfield, he went six and 12 in 28 games. All of them started with a 4.07 ERA. Um, had 134 strikeouts. Through 148 and a third of an inning, so that's first of all his fastball can can touch up to 97, the highest I've seen him hit him 99. He's got a hard throwing slider, and the changeup that he throws along with that spl- it's it's got a splitter type action. Um, so that's another guy that I really would like to see. Now I think Dan has the potential to be a re- reliever. I'm not sure, but you know, those are the guys that I really hope that uh, that Jerry Dipoto holds on to because again, you don't want to see talent like that go to another team. But if the but if the you know if uh, if it comes up, it, it it's got to be. But another guy that I think a lot of people are really interested in seeing is uh, Brayan Hernandez, and I think that is he's actually a relative of Felix Hernandez as, as well.
2: Yeah, you know, I think you're making a valid point. With you know, all these players have a fairly large upside, um, and there's no current need to trade them. There's no current need anywhere on the team. I think Jedi did a excellent job in filling all the gaps that uh, he possibly could or trying to, and uh, and and. Making this team a complete team where it wasn't last season, so until there's a need to trade some of these guys to to fill a gap immediate an immediate need and only an immediate need where we're lacking and and this is what spring training is for um, to to find out if the team still has any gaps um, so so none of these players should be traded until um until it's
1: absolutely necessary yeah definitely and again I, i'm saying this way. the thing that you want to look at when you do trade a prospect like that is you want to again it, it's it's a last option resort so that's the one thing you got to look at is this the only option that we do have to possibly acquire you know this this player and such and such player so again, that's and I think Jerry Dipoto will will think long and hard with a lot of these prospects. Some of them um, already have potential to even help the Mariners already in trades because a lot of them. I'm going to say this. I have to say this. Out of the 30 prospects that I that that we have here on the Mariners, I see Alex Jackson, uh, Peterson, Tyler O'Neal, Boog, uh, Yarbug, Hernandez, Braden Bishop, uh, Morgan, uh, Dan Altavilla. Maybe Austin Cusiano or uh, Casino, excuse me, Casino, That's that was his name. Tyler Pike and Drew Jackson and uh and of course uh, just making making the team in the future years. But you know, looking at what we have right now, we have uh, Cattell Marte at shortstop. Right now, I'm seeing uh one, two, three, four, five. Let's see any more. Okay, so five shortstop in the top. In the top thirty prospects, really, I don't see the Mariners making anything with the shortstops because, I mean, again, um, you know, you're stuck with Cattell Marte until you really think that you can trade him for something. But I don't think I think we're going to see you know Cattell Marte be a real star for the for the Mariners in the next few years.
2: Oh yeah, you're. you're You're right. Um, You know, I mentioned this in the previous podcast is, you know, he had a good year, but it seems like a lot of prospects have a good first year. Um, And and, and then once teams quote unquote figure, figure them out, it's, uh, it's another story. But Catal Marte had a year that kind of defied logic. I want to say he, he probably shouldn't have done as well as he did, and I think that's a good sign for for the future for his his future, anyways. And you know, if he can turn into uh, um, I always forget his name. Who's the guy that wears glasses on the uh, on the athletics?
1: Oh, um, uh, Sogard Eric Sogard, yeah, the yeah, nerd. Eric Sogard. People say I look like him. Uh, that's besides the point. But
2: if you can just turn into an Eric Sogar, just a, a consistent guy that, um, you know, hits for average, that uh, does everything
1: decently well,
2: I think we'll, we'll we'll have a good shortstop for years to come.
1: Definitely. And I kind of want to go off topic, first of all. Um, the next song that we're going to play is kind of like a Valentine's Day type of type of song um, for the next break. I, I know I'm going off topic, but first off, I want to say this. hate Valentine's Day, always have hated it. Um, and I'm after the podcast, I'm gonna do a loser type thing. I'm gonna watch the Princess Bride by myself
0: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: here's the thing okay here's the thing i'm not a, I'm not one guy to admit this, okay. I will admit this on the air i've I think I've done it before. I cry almost every time I watch Titanic, okay. Titanic is my favorite movie of all time Great movie. if you wanna if you wanna call me a for <laughs> it, go ahead. I don't care. But The Princess Bride, in my opinion, is one of my favorite movies of all time. I even watch it by myself just to watch it. And another off-topic, um, Isaiah Thomas. I want to send out a big congratulations to Isaiah Thomas, uh, the Curtis, the Curtis uh, alumni, uh, Tacoma native, UW alumni, making his first uh, NBA All-Star game tonight. And he finishes with nine points, three rebounds, and an assist, and a steal as the uh, West takes it. And they beat the East. And here's the thing. First off, I, we're going to get off topic, and I got to talk about both of these All Star games. But first of all, the NBA All Star game is a joke. I mean, come on, the West beat the East one ninety six to one seventy three. Not even trying. It's worse than the Pro Bowl. Okay, now see, that's the thing that I was about to say too. Um, we were talking football, and I forgot to mention the Pro Bowl, and this and this actually popped up automatically, but. Um, I think the NFL needs to do away with the Pro Bowl. And I think the NBA needs to do away with the All-Star game because, let's face it, both of those All-Star games are a joke. There's no yeah,
0: deep. The, if, you,
2: if you're going to say that, the, 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 the uh, MLB All-Star game is almost just – it means basically nothing. I, so I agree. If, why, not, why not get rid of All-Star games in general? People want to see the best players in – their sport play um and you know if you're gonna keep it yeah you're you're right it
1: needs to be worth something it it needs to be less of a joke um I, I agree because because first of all let me tell you something i'm glad if this is the last pro bowl that we see i'm glad russell wilson and michael bennett won the mvps i want to congratulate them first of all but again you do not blow the whistle when one hand touches Bennett That's what the, that's the thing that really set me off about this pro bowl. I'm like, okay, I get that you don't want to see guys get hurt. But I will say this, the pro bowl really started not really meaning anything about I think about in 2000 because that Let me go ahead and look this up. I want to go ahead and look this up because I know we're getting off topic with Marriott's baseball. We're going to get right back into that. Don't worry about that, folks. We will get into Marriott's baseball, but for right now, I want to talk about this because this is something that I think a lot of people um, have discussed, and I think even the, uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, experts have been have been saying it as well. Uh, so let's go ahead. So. Okay, so get this: the All-Star Games really started in 1938 for the uh, for the NFL, and it it usually featured one team against the NFL All-Stars. But the Pro Bowl officially started in 1950, and here's the thing: the 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 second Pro Bowl finished in a tie, and then the fourth one, <laughs> the fourth Pro Bowl ended in a tie as well. And then the sixth one ended in a tie. So, but le- I'm looking at these scores with the West and the East. That's how they did it. And then they did the AFC and the, NF- and the NFC Pro Bowls. I'm still looking at this at the uh, uh, at the uh, results. And the only real game that was a blowout um, when the when the Pro Bowl really first started was in 19. 19- 83 when the NFC beat the AFC 45 to 3. But looking at the scores, there was defenses. They actually, you know, gave they actually gave an effort. And the first real uh overtime came in 19 uh the 1992 Pro Bowl when the AFC beat uh, the NFC uh 23 to 20 in overtime. But again, keep I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep looking and Okay, so 1999 featured the real first game where there wasn't any defense, 51-31 NFC. Um it kept going until uh 2004. The, the year previous in 2003, it was a 55-52 NFC win. And let's see where is it. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. So it officially began in 2000 and Actually, it officially began in 1999 where defenses really did not start to, they they didn't really play defense. And first of all, I want to say this. um, The most uh, crappy uh, Pro Bowl of all time was the year previous. It was the year previous to uh, 2012 where it was a 59-41 AFC win where Brandon Marshall, he held in, I think, four touchdowns. But over the past, Four or er, five Pro Bowls. It's been 41-34 AFC, 55-41 NFC, 59-41 AFC, 62-35 NFC. And just this past year, uh, hang on a second, let me keep, let me keep going up. I got I got. I'm doing this with my I'm doing this with my iPod. So so just just give me some credit real quick. All right, and just this past year it was 49-27. So and here's the thing, the, the, the players, they actually get paid for this. and the NFL puts and here's the thing, the NFL, they pay for these players' trips. First of all, I hate that rule. If you're going to send them to the Pro Bowl, you have them pay for their own goddamn rooms. You have them pay for their own damn uh, flights to Hawaii. You not pay for these players? And then I get that there's a lot of excitement with all these players. But, again, with the NBA All-Star Game, um, it's become a – I think the NBA All-Star Game is actually a real – more of a joke than the Pro Bowl, really. And I know I've been talking more than you have, Chase, but I want your take on everything, really. Okay. So, listen. The
2: NBA All-Star Game, kind of a joke. The players, you know, there's not that much fear of being hurt, so the players have more incentive to, uh, to, to, play, to play hard, right? And I, and I know that, the, you know, the, the winner of the All-Star game gets home field advantage in the World Series. Um, so that's something, you know. That's something of an incentive to play well, because if it goes to a Game 7, like it has the past two years, then I, did it go? it correct me if I'm wrong. Did it, was it six or seven games was last year?
1: Um, I think Four. it was uh, six games.
2: Okay. Um, but in a situation like two years ago, where you know you're you're down to the last game, you want the home field advantage. And I I didn't do this prior to talking, but to see who won the the All Star game um, two years ago when the Royals were in it and lost would be would be interesting so so there's there's something there 190 uh, points in the nba all-star game is ridiculous and and yeah people want to see dunks people want to see points scored everybody loves scoring points i think that's why hockey and soccer are unpopular um at least in america is because both
1: those are generally speaking relatively low-scoring games
0: um, and i
1: let me, let me go ahead and point that out for you real quick. I think a lot of people in America don't like hockey and soccer because they don't have the patience for it. Now, I, I see a lot of people saying, oh, uh, baseball's a boring sport because there's not a lot of stuff going on. What about, 19, what about the 1990s? There was so much popularity with baseball because there was home runs getting hit. Now there's not. I think people who say that they don't like this type of sport because it's so slow or because there's not a lot of action, they have a very small attention span. I'm going to say that because has a
2: small attention span.
1: Well, yeah, but I'm, but I'm going to say this. If you don't have the patience to actually watch the game, you, you shouldn't be watching sports at all. But I will say this, though. The MLB All-Star Game is a joke as well because, I mean, let's face it. It didn't really – it started getting to be a joke really about – I want to say about maybe five years ago because here's the thing. With the MLB All-Star Game now, it's all about Nike featuring new gear. It's all about these companies featuring new gear – because you see a lot of these players wearing like highlighter like bright ass gloves and shoes and really again I think I think that that all sporting events should really do away with the with all-star games because it's it,
0: it,
1: unless the, the the teams take it seriously unless the players take this thing seriously yes the skills competition or the dunk competition for the basketball okay Go ahead and have some fun. The home run derby, go ahead and have some fun. Uh, But, again, with the Pro Bowl, I want to see a game. With the NBA, I want to see a game. With baseball, I don't want to see advertisements. I want to see a game. That goes with every single All-Star Game sporting event. And I think that and I think that that's what, you know, a lot of these leagues need to do.
0: So, so yeah, you're I I'd love to see
1: a
2: game. Um, the the funny thing about the the, the pro bowl and the uh, the, the pro bowl is the NFL's All-Star game is that there's really no event like there is you can have a slam dunk contest or a home run derby like what what are you going to do? To see how far the your quarterback can throw the ball, and like what what is there to do there, but um, you know people want to see action, and if the league is going to keep, if any of these leagues are going to uh, to keep their all star their version of the all star game, they need to give players incentives to play it. Besides, you know, oh, you get a free trip to Hawaii or. You know um or, or something like that you have to make it worth something and and i I have no speculation as to what that could be for um for the n f l or the n b a um i mean the n b a could obviously since this is a series based thing they could do the same thing where the the winner of the all star game um you know has home court uh in the in the final game. But that, you know, at the same to- token, that's not really enough because a lot of these series don't go to seven games, and whether that's just because there's a, a great skill gap, or if, um, you know, generally speaking, seven games they just don't. For for one reason or another, there's probably some math, statistics, whatever that is going into that, um, but they just don't. So there there needs to be more incentive.
1: Yeah, I full-heartedly agree. All right, we've we gotten off-topic enough, man. I think we need to get back to Marriott's baseball. we got to talk some more Marriott's baseball. And, and, and first of all, I, I want your take on the guys that you're most anxious to watch play for the Marriott's this year. I mean, first off, we got so many guys. we got a couple guys who are back with the team. We have new guys, and... Again, this is, this is going to be an interesting year to watch, and I want your take on the guys who you believe are the most exciting to be anticipated to watch this season for the Mariners. All right. Listen,
2: you may hate me for this, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. The singular person I'm looking forward to watching this year, Robinson Cano. Yeah, I figured I'd get that reaction. Listen, we paid two hundred and forty million dollars for the man, and he did very poor for us last year. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he how he bounces back from a a really kind of a lost season for him last year, and you know, too many errors, uh, crappy. Average. crappy is just hitting in general uh, uh, by his standards. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play up to snuff.
1: I actually got to agree with you, man. I, I think this is going to be Cano's real breakout year for the Mariners. Um, another player that I'm really anxious to watch for this season is Franklin Gutierrez. Because here's okay. the thing. Gutierrez is finally healthy. And I think we're ready to see a Gutierrez like last year. And here's the thing. He's not going to play every day. Yes, I get that. But I'm still anxious to see what he can do coming off a season like last year. And I'm most excited to see that because, you know, last year, Franklin Gutierrez, I think Franklin Gutierrez really should have been maybe even the runner-up for the, for the MLB Comeback Player of the Year award. I think he really should have won it. But, of course, you know, they look – the expert the writers they look at more of, you know, stats like Prince Fielders instead of, you know, what Goody went through, but that's just me. But, you know, Goody was definitely the MLB comeback player of the year in my book because of what he went through, of all the injuries that he's gone through in the past, you know, three seasons and being out of baseball for a little bit and to come back and do what he did was just unreal i mean it was just he wasn't human he played with he played like he was not from this planet
2: oh you're absolutely right and we've said this plenty of times before the dude's got a gold glove the dude is a he's the dude in the outfield so um so to have him come back and and uh and, and have him hopefully play as as awesome as he possibly can is uh is really exciting is you you're absolutely right it's super exciting
1: yeah definitely um another player that I that I really am anxious to see play this year is is also going to be Cattell Marte um, again you know the Last year was just amazing to to watch him play, but you know, let's see what he does in his for, first full complete season and is he going to be like Brad Brad Miller where he had a great year coming into, you know, half a season and then the next year he just completely flops because pitchers finally figure figure him out and he can't figure out pitchers, but you know, he's he's one of the other guys that I'm that I'm really whoops that I'm most uh, that he uh, again. I'm really most anxious to see that because uh, let's face it. I mean, let's face it. Katal Marte is possibly one of the few guys that you can consider as kind of one of the Mariners' superstars. I mean, again, you have we have Nelson Cruz, we have Felix, we have Seager, we have Cano, we have all these other guys, and but again, you know that's the man that I consider, that's another guy that I consider to be a superstar for the Mariners.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, you know, we, I feel like we've talked endlessly about all these, these, these players. I cannot, I cannot talk right now. Um, But yeah, we've talked countlessly uh, about these players and, and, I, I think it's just a sign that baseball season just needs to be here already. Uh, real quickly, did you see, uh, I'm assuming you did, that the Mariners' uh, over-under for wins this season is 83.
1: I did, but did you actually hear that Ryan Divish, who actually writes for the Mariners, he actually, I don't know if he was joking or not, but he had a, uh, I have a friend who was doing uh, an interview with him, and he has the Mariners projecting at 63 wins, but I think he was just joking. Because, I mean, let's face it, Ryan Divish is one of the real kind of like class clowns for the Mariners.
2: Yeah, you know, I really hope he's joking. Because <laughs> 63 wounds is ridiculous. There's, there's no reason the team that we have shouldn't be at least 500, especially coming off, the, at, coming off
1: after last year. Yeah, definitely. And uh uh I also want to we also want to send out our, our prayers to uh a marriage broadcaster Dave Sims who uh uh he actually had surgery for prostate cancer and he's uh undergoing recovery and uh we want to say this Dave we 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 send nothing but our best wishes for you we uh we can't wait for you to come back and we hope to hear more boomstick babies from, boomsticks from you and again you know Here's the thing. I may hate on Dave Sims a lot, but you know, come on, the guy is the guy's our our play-by-play announcer, and he does get excited, and I do sometimes like what he does. But uh, again, it's it's our thoughts and prayers are with Dave for 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 a healthy recovery. Absolutely. Good luck, man. All righty, so uh, we are all done with Mariners talk, and uh, we're going to go ahead and get into our final break, and when we come back, we're actually talking about something that uh, is actually going to be happening next year, uh, the World Cup of Baseball, the World Baseball Classic. And so we'll take a break and be right back. Back here with the final segment in Seattle Sports Talk podcast. Uh, Having some technical difficulties here, real quick. We gotta hang on a sec. I will get uh, Chase unmuted, or or I don't know if Chase is unmuted right now. Can you hear me, Chase? Okay, well he can hear me, so uh, he is muted right now. Hang on a sec, Chase. Let me get this uh, figured out real quick. Oh my gosh. This always happens during the podcast. I mean, for some reason, we can never go one podcast where we do not have technical difficulties, and and there we go. Chase, you're unmuted now, man.
2: Ah, uh, thank you, man. I can't it's not a podcast if you can't hear me if I'm not present.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the thing: it's also not a podcast if we don't have technical difficulties. It seems like every single podcast, <laughs> we have difficulties, and it, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's annoying. But uh
2: hey, what are you gonna do though you gotta
1: work through them and and just keep trucking definitely and uh our final segment is something that uh a lot of people don't uh really talk about a lot uh the world baseball classic yeah yeah it's, and uh up there yeah we're we're only one year away from the uh from the from the third world baseball classic ever played, and I will say this uh Sydney or the Australian National Baseball team uh which has Dylan Unsworth who is another Mariners prospect who uh, was with uh, the Rainiers last year uh also former Mariners Ryan roland Smith and Travis Blackley uh put on a real show against South Africa and I will say this man it it was I actually watched them last night and it was actually really uh it's actually really fun to watch other team, other countries' baseball teams play, but I will say this about South Africa. Uh, they have a terrible pitching staff. I mean, it was 6-5 going into the bottom of the eighth inning, and Australia just lit them up for uh, six runs, and it was a 12-5 Australia win. But uh, the upcoming qualifier, the next qualifier, um for the World Baseball Classic, is set to start on Thursday, March 17th, and the qualifying teams are the Chets Republic, Team Mexico, uh, Nicaragua, and Team Germany. That's something that's going to be interesting to see. The German team? I never even knew they had a baseball team.
0: Yeah, you know, when you think
2: baseball, primarily you think the United States and Japan. Uh, you All of Europe just doesn't really come into mind since that's a very – uh, soccer oriented continent, is the word I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be, su- I'm super curious to to see them and watch them and how they play.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, following qualifier, uh, will start on, uh, March 17th. Uh, in the third qualifier, we have team Brazil, Colombia, France, and Panama. Um, uh, Both Panama, I I see baseball playing in Panama, but, you know, with France and Colombia and Brazil, again, those are, again, primarily soccer-based countries. So, it's again, it's fun to watch this type of baseball, you know? Oh, 100%. 100%. You know, and I think a lot of people say the
2: same thing about the U.S. in the the World Cup. The U.S., soccer, what? And then, you know, we get to the the quarterfinals of the – of the big tournament, you know, we win our, uh, our, I'm blanking on the term right now. Um, But yeah, so, I'm, you know, when you think baseball, you think Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, the U.S., like Central America, and up, and maybe a little bit of Canada. So, it's, um, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's, it's something to look forward to, and, it, it, you know, there's the whole thing with oh, it interferes with the baseball season, but but look, soccer players deal with this every four years, so baseball players can too, along with
1: uh, NHL and NBA players as well. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then uh, but, right at go ahead. Oh no, I I wasn't really gonna add
2: anything, so go go for it.
1: Uh the next qualifying round will be uh actually coming in September and it'll feature Great Britain, Israel, Pakistan and Spain. Again, right. four other countries that you four other countries that you just don't expect to see baseball. No, you don't. You don't.
2: Um you know, I can kind of see kind of see Great Britain, you know, the, the big soccer nation of course, but you know, I tweeted out earlier today. Uh, England is like America, but five thousand miles away. <laughs> so, the, and there's a lot of similarities to um, to the two nations. Uh, so, a love of baseball is is possibly one of them. So, I I foresee Great Britain
1: probably pulling through out of that out of that qualifying round. Yeah, definitely. And and let's go ahead and talk about the USA baseball team. Um, first of all, let's uh, go ahead and look at this. Uh, USA, the, the, the previous uh, World Baseball Classic, uh, let me go ahead and see. I want to see where they finished. I think they finished, uh, let's see, hang on a sec. So, uh, Pools, so we've got, uh, all right, so the, uh, so, USA did uh, actually made it to the uh to the qual to the uh, pl- pl- preliminary rounds and then the qualifying rounds for uh uh the pool 2 but they lost two games and uh they faced the Dominican Republic they lost 3 to 1 then they uh, lost to Puerto Rico uh but I will say this though the uh, the USA baseball team First of all, this is a this is a tournament that I think a lot of people expect USA to win. And first of all, it's not that hard. It's it's difficult to win because with with baseball you have t- you have countries like Japan, uh Dominican Republic, uh and uh and tell me uh Cuba who have uh b- just complete ballers on there and along with Korea, and it's it's been incredibly difficult for the USA and last year though with the with the team that they had with Giancarlo Stanton and the pitching that they had and you know it was kind of a it was a huge letdown to see the USA uh really play poorly the way they did. A hundred percent. Um
2: you know, and a lot of teams expect um you know it's, it's it's not like the u s a is the um the u s a the u s a baseball team is not the u s a base- is not the u s a basketball team where it's just hundred percent dominant uh i i'm not looking at stats in front of me right now but the major league is dominated by dominican puerto rican um and players from, you know, Japan is even going up there. A lot of the players are not in the MLB are not from the United States. And a lot of good players are not from the United States. So people are expecting it but um I think you hit the nail on the head is it's just not possible to to live up to a hundred percent of the expectations that um
1: that the, the, that they have yeah definitely and uh, I want to say this australia um is one in eight in world baseball classic play and the only win that they have actually ever had was a 17 to 7 win against mexico but in the 2009 world baseball classic the usa um was eliminated in the first pool so they it was an early exit. They beat Venezuela fifteen to six, but then in the uh in the round to, to, to decide it, they faced Venezuela again and got beat five to three. But you know, and and let me go ahead and look at the world the first world baseball classic and I want to say this the first world baseball classic in two thousand six, which featured Ken Griffey Jr. on the uh, on the on the roster for the for the for the USA uh, this USA team came close to winning it all. And the the, here's the the game against South Africa that the United States played, they won 17 to nothing, and Junior drove in seven runs in that game and hit two home runs. Um, in the uh, second round, the USA had a chance to or lost to South Korea and lost to Japan and then lost to Mexico. So uh, they ha- they came- uh first of all the big thing with u s a is they nearly beat Japan if Griffey would have g- gotten a hit in that game, they would have moved on but due to the fact that they uh the United States was outrunned that's how they actually determine if it's a tie they were outrunned um and so they went on so they so they got uh or so Japan moved on because Japan was one and two and Japan actually won the, uh, the World Baseball Classic that year, and they won it the next year. But a lot of people want to see USA come, you know, possibly within second or third. But, you know, it's again, it's, it's seriously difficult to do that. Because last year, guess who came in? For, here's who uh, Dominican Republic won it. Then Puerto Rico was uh, runner-up. In third place was Japan. Guess who was fourth place that year? Netherlands, the Netherlands baseball team. So That tells you something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Netherlands
2: just seems to do pretty well in their national sports. They, them, and their orange jerseys did pretty well in the World Cup a couple of years ago too.
1: Yeah, they did. They did. They do. They did exceedingly well. And here's the thing. Guess who's? Guess who's on? Guess who's on this? Uh, the the uh, Dutch Hall, or Dutch team, Vladimir Ballantin, former Mariner. I love that guy. He's so good. Why he was.
0: Him?
1: He was. And uh, also on that team uh, back in 2000 and uh, – let me go ahead and see. Was it 2000 and – need to see this. I think it was two, the first one that uh, it was played. Let me go ahead and make sure that it was – first one, but the, uh, yeah, or actually it was in the second one in 2009, featured a Dutch team with former Seattle Mariner Greg Hallman, and that one actually was, uh so, it, it, every time I mention Greg Hallman, it always, it kind of chokes me up, but you know, it's it's always good to mention his name, because again, he's still missed, truly, with this Mariners team, and his life was Tragically cut short so badly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that
1: sucks. It, it does. It does. But um, I want I want to get your opinion. I mean, looking at what the USA is going to possibly face this in this upcoming, you know, uh, World Baseball Classic, I want to say this. I want to say that the pitching needs to really improve. Because I mean, first of all. You know, there's not a lot of American based players who have put a name for themselves, but if you're going to put together a World Baseball Classic team and not have Clayton Kershaw on it, something's really wrong with you. Because. Well, of course he's going to be on it, right? Well, he wasn't on it uh, a couple years ago, and he was still one of the best pitchers in baseball at the time. True. Also true. But
2: the, the well, I mean I, I think I think we got a I think we got a decent shot you know we got Mike Trout um Bryce Harper both of those players I think are are really hitting their stride when it comes to um consistency and uh and, and power and you know they're both fast fast guys I, I I don't know I I'm just a fan of those two players in general but with them, and hopefully Clayton Kershaw. Uh, And, I mean, every time I think of of good baseball players, um, they're not from the United States. You know, Big Papi is from Puerto Rico? No? Uh, I don't even know, but um, uh, all of these good baseball players that immediately come to mind are not from... United States so it's going to be it's going to be a, a tough road ahead um, is it possible yeah anything's possible is it probable
1: I can't say that it's it's very likely unfortunately all right so here's the roster that featured in 2013 for the USA first of all Steve Kishak was on that team so let's go ahead oh, and give well, yeah he shout out. big shout out um, the pitching featured Ryan Vogelson, Vinny Pestano, Glenn Perkins, Craig Kimbrel, Derek Holland, David Hernandez, Luke Gregerson, Gio Gonzalez, R.A. Dickey, Ross uh, Detweiler, Tim Collins, Kishak, B- Mitchell Boggs, Heath Bell, and Jeremy uh, Alpha, Affeld. I think that's his name. So I have to say this. Only Gio Gonzalez and Craig Kimball really stick out to me and Steve Kishak because that was a terrible pitching that they put together against the best in the world. And then looking at your roster, you had J.P. uh, Aaron Sebia and Jonathan Lucroy as your catchers and Joe Maurer. First off, uh, Lucroy, good choice. Maurer not so much because he was getting up there in age. Um, Only thing I will say this, I didn't like this choice, but Willie Bloomquist, Brandon was on the team uh, playing infield. Brandon Phillips, Jimmy Rollins, Eric Hosmer, David Wright, and Ben Zobrist were all infielders. Now, if you put Hosmer back on the roster, he's going to be good because Hosmer at the time was not really major league ready at the time. And you had Jimmy – first of all, you look at this roster and you see guys between the ages of 31 and 35 on the team. And then you had Ryan Braun, Adam Jones, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, and Shane Victorino as your outfielders. Now, Adam Jones and Giancarlo Stanton I agree with, but not Shane Victorino or Braun. But this was when Braun was, you know, smashing the crap out of the ball. But if you're going to win the World Baseball Classic, you need to put together a team that has Mike Trout on it. But Absolutely. here's this, teams actually have the right to tell their players not to go. And that's why Mike Trout was not on the team that year,
2: yeah, you know, and that's unfortunate because it's you know it's granted it's not as a big of a deal as the World Cup is. there's not gonna be a billion people watching, but you for the chance to play for for your country for um for just that experience as a whole is um. It's something that I know I would look forward to as a player and if I would look forward to it then you know other people do um it, it it's just unfortunate because he's such a good player and and the way that this World Baseball Classic gets a billion viewers is if the best players in the entire world are playing uh are playing in it much like um you know, it's it's not like the all-star game where, you know, the best players in one league. It's the best players in the entire world, and this is the only world we have. So why not see some of the best athletes
1: play their favorite sport, you know? Definitely, definitely. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Me and Chase are going to be back next week at the same time, 7 o'clock, so you can catch us on here. And, again, don't forget to go to 4 uh, – uh, for 4Mom underscore ALZ on Twitter, give them a follow. And, of course, put out for the cause because we want to promote this cause for Braden Bishop. And, again, give give them a follow. Give Braden Bishop a follow at Braden Bishop, uh 7 on seven. Twitter. What's up? Uh, Braden Bishop 7 I thought you forgot that. And, and if you're listening, it's four, the number 4Mom underscore ALZ. Yep, the number four, mom ALZ, or underscore ALZ at Twitter. So, again, me and Chase are going to be back next week at 7 o'clock, and this is me and Chase saying goodnight, and not go Hawks, but go Mariners.
0: Go Mariners.